Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. Thanks for tuning in. This is where we have conversations with guests about life, loss, grief, and grief dreams, which can be dreams of your loved ones that have passed away. So if you want to know more about the topic, you can definitely check out our website, griefdreams.ca, for more information. And here are four ways you can help support the podcast and help us spread awareness on this amazing topic. So number one, subscribe and rate the podcast on the platform that you listen to it on. Number two, become a member of the podcast, and that's for as low as $1.50 a month. This helps us run the podcast, and you can find the Patreon link in the show notes. Number three, you can take the Grief Dreams online course by Dr. Joshua Black at griefdreams.ca. And lastly, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Facebook at Grief Dreams. And now on to the show. Welcome to the Grief Dreams podcast. My name is Sean Ram alongside Dr. Joshua Black. Happy to be here doing the podcast. On uh, today's episode, we have with us Caitlin Garvey, and she is a writer and English professor in Chicago. She has had an MFA in creative writing from Northwestern University and an MA in English literature from DePaul University. Her work has been published in Post Road Magazine, Little Fiction, Big Truths, The Baltimore Review, the Tishman Review, and others. Her debut memoir, The Morning Report, is about losing her mother to cancer and collecting the stories of the people who played a role in her mother's care. Caitlin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to talk to you, so I'm glad we're both <laughs> excited <laughs> for this episode. And so just looking at so like your bio and seeing the book you wrote, you have, yeah. it seems like you have a very unique story to tell. And I really want you to go back to just talk about the relationship you had with your mom before the breast cancer mm -hmm. that happened and just to give us an idea of what that relationship was like. Yeah. So actually, before my mom had breast cancer, um, she had chemia as well. So that was when I was like in second grade. So she was sick for actually a lot of my life. And then uh, the leukemia went into remission. But then when I was 15, she was diagnosed with inflammatory breast cancer, which is really kind of rare and, and aggressive. So it, it was a lot of our relationship was kind of just navigating how to deal with like something so serious when I was a teenager. But aside from that, we had a really strong relationship. I considered her a really close friend, um, but she was a mom first, so she made sure to uh, in, like institute certain rules and stuff. She was she was strict, but just very open to what we had to say and really kind of supportive of her kids. She was, uh, she used to be an attorney, but then when she had me, uh, the second kid, she stayed at home to, to raise her kids. And, and so I just want to interject here. So that yeah, was really ahead. hard for a child to win an argument with an attorney. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> oh, there was there was no winning of arguments on my side. Now <laughs> it's really hard also for the husband of the attorney to win arguments. My dad, I don't think ever was successful. <laughs> She's like, plead yeah. your case, and you're like, no, I yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I mean, she was just never wrong, so that was that too. <laughs> and then of course then she's sick and it's like well obviously you're right so <laughs> we'll do anything your way but yeah it was uh, a lot of our relationship so she died when I was 18 so a lot of it you know wasn't we didn't have like an adult relationship really I didn't she didn't get to know the parts of me that exist now um, and I didn't really get to know her on a level other than than a mom at that time and in the, in the way you would have a relationship with your parents as adults. And so part of the reason I wanted to interview people for the book was just to get other people's perspectives on who she was to them, but also collect and remember more things from talking to them and, and seeing just kind of like what their own grief processes were like. And so could you talk a little about when you knew she was dying, like what that conversation yeah. was like with her? Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember. So I was, let's see. So I was a freshman in college and I think it was like in February or something. And my dad sent me an email and my sister, we were going to the same college and he was like, you guys need to come home. And then he sat us down and he was like, you know, there's no kind of course of treatment left, kind of inhabited her whole body. And I just remember like that being very scary because they had hidden a lot from me while I was at college. It's the kind of make me feel like a normal college student, I think. So I remember going back to Oak Park. I was in college in Indiana at that time, and we just talked through it, but not in detail. Um, And I remember it was more for my dad than my mom. I think my mom probably didn't accept it fully. So yeah, it was, it was hard um, when, and they told me, you know, she was going to go into hospice care and before that, I had been home like almost every weekend to see, you know, like, because I knew she was sick, but I just didn't really know how bad it was. I mean, I could have guessed and I could have done research because if you just like look up inflammatory breast cancer, you'll find things that I didn't know at the time. But I think I was sparing myself from that, too. So, yeah. And then and then I met a hospice nurse at that time, too. And so as you sort of, you know, had this experience with her, did your schooling suffer? Because now that you came to the realization, I know like, like my, the death of my dad was very sudden. And so I went back to school right away and that was okay. But we've heard other people on the podcast where their schooling suffered. So I'm curious just about you and, and you going to school while this is going on. Yeah. So freshman year, I wouldn't say I, I suffered academically compared to other people. I think I was just still again, like sparing myself and being spared from it in a way. So I was, you know, I had typical distractions, but I didn't view that as a a primary one for whatever reason. But then actually my mom died in June, 2008. um, And in August of that same year, so a couple months later, I went back to school for my sophomore year. So literally it was just like, you know, two months and I hadn't processed anything. Um, I think I was still pretty much in denial and I wasn't going to class a lot then. Somehow I did fine in the semester. I don't know how I passed because I really wasn't going to class. In my, I think I just went for like the one final exam. <laughs> and But then eventually it got so much worse and I ended up dropping out of that school and, and transferring. But yeah, it was a lot of like not going to class, sleeping a lot. At that point, I had a blog where I would just like post really emo because I was, you know, 19 and depressed. But <laughs> sorry, I swore. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's not like me a lot in university. <laughs> yeah, Definitely. it just it was it was like a lot of fatigue that I felt, and just like at the same time not being willing to process it or ready yet. And I thought like I could, you know figure my way out of it. And obviously that wasn't the case and it just kept getting worse. Um, And then in uh, my junior year, uh, second semester, that's when I uh, attempted suicide. Yeah. Just listening to, to you walk through that, I, I, it definitely reminded me of my own uh, university years of really. Yeah. I think there's a lot of not understanding how to process things and even just trying to, I guess, live a quote-unquote normal life yeah. and trying to fit in and and like I could see why you know your mother what your mother was going through what your family was going through you can kind of almost compartmentalize that in your life mm-hmm. or, or at least you almost maybe automatically your body and your brain do that so you can mm-hmm. push on and move on and do other things mm-hmm. but um yeah that's a it's such a tough tough time I think for a lot of a lot of kids I think that Mm-hmm. That when you get into university, whether you're, you know, that 18 to kind of, you know, 17 to 23 age, right. and looking, looking back on it now, it wasn't until I think I was 27, 28 that I started to really deal with some of those things that I'd kind of neglected oh. and blocked and kind of uh, that, that, ha- that had happened early on in my life right. and also during university uh, i also dropped out of university and ended up going to school somewhere else um, oh, wow. and not because you know again not because i wasn't able to or competent enough to do it it's just right. my life was so tumultuous during that time yeah exactly yeah and it's hard to be away from your family too even though i was like two hours 
from them. It was, it just still felt like very isolating, even though I had friends and a support group and stuff. Yeah. And, and then it's just like, also you have access at 19, you have access to alcohol or at least I did. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I can figure this out with some alcohol and I'll be fine. Learning how to use alcohol and drink that wasn't working well and, and yeah, exactly. using that to cope, uh, using uh-huh. that to deal with the, what was going on, you know, that, that's, that's all a part of it. And, and that, that's, that's, yeah. a, seems like it's a common thing, I think, during that time and, um, of, yeah. of, of a young person's life, trying, trying to navigate through it all. Yeah. And just trying to also fit in. And I think I was also just trying to distract myself with as many things as possible. Like this is just a weird anecdote, but my sophomore year, I like, <laughs> I like bought these mini turtles online. <laughs> like, I don't know. I was just like trying to fill myself up with like really random dumb hobbies. And that was one of them for some reason. But yeah, I think I was just I was just so lost. I didn't even know where to begin processing anything. Well, at least they're turtles, not tigers. Like, uh, what's, <laughs> yeah. it, what's that guy's name? <laughs> Joe, <worried>. whatever. <laughs> yeah, there could have been some yeah. other hobbies. I'm actually curious because I'm curious because you you seem like a creative person. That's kind of uh, your your deal. I wonder what kind of creative endeavors started but didn't finish during that time. Because, oh, tons. Yeah. <laughs> right? Cause, like, I remember myself. Being a relative creative person, there's so many ideas that I had, and also uh-huh. those ideas became procrastinating. You know that oh, right totally. right into what I was trying to do, which was procrastinate. Essentially, <laughs> uh, there was this yeah. one point when I, um, in my apartment that I shared with three other students, where I thought it was a great oh, idea. I yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I didn't do it, but I thought it would be a great idea to sleep in like a sandbox. At one point, I thought, hmm, I wonder, how, and I started, like, thinking about it and planning this out, but then, thank God, part of me realized this was a terrible idea. To even, like, I kind of wish you had, though. Yeah, I, oh, God. The sand all over the apartment. I'm sleeping in sand. I just thought it'd be cool, because the idea of sleeping in the beach, and like, mm-hmm. oh, it'd be yeah. so comfortable. You know, sand is malleable. Yeah, that will like, cure your depression, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Well, they got water beds. Why not a sand bed, <laughs> yeah. right? Like, exactly what I was it's thinking. It's not that bad of an idea, Sean. I think you should have pitched that Shark Tank. <laughs> there were, like, sand parties where um, at, at the college I went to, um, like, people would literally fill their apartments with sand and you would just be invited and walk there. Like it was disgusting. I don't know how they got the sand out or. It's not an idea <laughs> if you can have the sand isolated, like with the cover so that the sand doesn't escape like a waterbed. You're right. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like yeah. a waterbed so that the water doesn't yeah. escape. But I was thinking more free sand, but that was terrible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yours sounds more practical. <laughs> Did you have any like, can you remember off top of your head any any uh, crazy ideas or hobbies that you kind of got into? <laughs> I can't. I just got really into like like I I also lived with three people and they were really close friends and we just did like dumb. Sh- Sorry again, I swore. But anyway, I think like we were just like one day we were just like deciding to dress and act as each other, just like things <laughs> that <laughs> kept each other, kept us occupied or like just got ways to get through the day at least so yeah it was it was it was a lot of not processing and and a lot of like weird stuff like that (laughs) yeah we had dance parties uh, (laughs) and i yeah i lived with all all guys and uh we'd had moments where we'd just start dancing and doing things (laughs) you know it's good too it's good because again uh i'm happy i wasn't living alone during that time that's Mm -hmm. that was nice right yeah, but at the same time, you have, like, then you feel like you have ultimate free. You're just with your best friends, and you're just like, mm, I hate the world, and I hate where I'm at right now. So, really, I feel like I have nothing to lose, and that's a maybe dangerous <laughs> mindset to have. Yeah, could you talk a little about that, you know, what led to that first attempt? Because you said that you're mm-hmm. using drugs and alcohol, you weren't dealing with your stuff. When did you notice that maybe it was a problem or it was leading there? 
Yeah, so let's see, so in my junior year, I it was the second semester and that's when I really wasn't going to class, smoking a lot of weed, but it wasn't like a it, I wasn't drinking that much honestly, um but I was just really really depressed and feeling isolated, but I remember the biggest feeling at that time was just like what is my purpose? I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Like I know what my mom's expectations of me were, but I have like it felt like I had no kind of independent dreams. And so I remember just feeling like, you know, I don't, I don't see myself in the future. Like it was just impossible for me to picture it. And I, I just felt also too, like I didn't fit in really like other people were progressing and I was kind of just like either standing still or regressing. So uh, that was kind of what was going through my mind prior to the the suicide attempt. And then I just, uh, you know, I, I also just had undiagnosed depression and, you know, coupled with grief, that was just too much for me to deal with. I was I wasn't on any medication. I hadn't even seen a psychiatrist at that point or, or a therapist. I think I saw like one therapist actually, but not for a long time. Um, but anyway, yeah, I was just feeling kind of, uh, I don't even know where, where to begin processing all of this, but also getting help. And, you know, when I was, so that happened when I was 20, I think. Yeah. So, I just, you know, decided that really the only path for me was to not be alive, um, which is really like hard to admit, but that's where I was at the time. What were some of the kind of top overwhelming pressures that you were experiencing? You had mentioned that uh, you you weren't sure about your career path. Was that Mm -hmm. something that you felt the pressure because you were in school to kind of do that and, and yeah, I guess finish and 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 go through yeah. and did you feel that from home because your parents were successful? Yeah, and also I think it was kind of me trying to figure out what I wanted for myself for the first time since, like I said, my mom was very involved in our lives and kind of mapped out things for us in a way like not like she would make decisions for us, especially not you know, when I was a freshman in college, but like she, I would at least bounce ideas off of her and see what she thought about them and really valued and cared about her opinion. It was a sort of like the first time where I was just like, oh, what, what am I supposed to do? Or what do I actually like to do? um, Independent of my mom's expectations of myself. And I honestly, I think I was just so depressed that I couldn't come up with anything that I found enjoyable. And so, yeah, it just, I just felt like I was out of place entirely. It's kind of the pressure cooker of school, right? I think sometimes mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. it's like merging onto a highway. Like, you know, everybody's yeah. going at a certain speed and then you're in that merge lane and they want you to speed up quick. And you're like exactly. trying to figure out this path, but at the same time you, you need time. Like, yeah. To kind of mull things over. And that's kind of what I, why I wanted to become a teacher, honestly. Uh, like, I'm a, I teach at a two year college, and I think a lot of people struggle, a lot of students that I've come across struggle with depression and anxiety and not wanting to go to class. And it's, it's not like laziness or, um, you know, easily dismissible as a concern. And so I think I, I just wanted to, you know, say like, hey, I'm here if you need to talk um, and like make sure that they're able to complete their assignments while still, you know, like taking care of themselves because I didn't really feel like a teacher reached out to me in that way. Yeah, that and, and you know, your mom was going through a tough, doing going through tough stuff and, you know, mm-hmm. a person that you that you depended on for guidance was dealing with their own stuff. And that, that mm-hmm. alone is, is a lot to kind of take on mm-hmm. as a family and as an individual to kind of have that going on in your life. And that person mm-hmm. that, that you care about is going through other stuff. And now you got your mind on that place. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you, you're thrown into this kind of pressure cooker where you're everybody's. And I look, and again, it's, it's going through, I've also faced some of those, um, 
like depression during that time and anxieties mm-hmm. and you look around you and it you know you think you look at people in your class and you're like oh everybody's got it together and everybody's doing yeah, stuff yeah. and everybody's doing amazing and this person's got this plan and this person's got that plan exactly. meanwhile everybody's individually dealing with their own stuff but that's just what the environment and the emotions and the the depression does yeah and it's it's so competitive too and it's just by by junior year when junior year rolled around everyone was like so clear at least in from my perspective this was probably not actually the case but I, everyone just knew you know where they were going to end up or what they wanted to do even after graduation and I was like I'm nowhere near that I don't even really like the major that I picked because I just can't even again see myself existing really in the future anyway so yeah the the pressure of that environment definitely played a role in it too so after the the a suicide attempt what was it mm-hmm. that actually helped you because you know mm-hmm. you have you're in a place now you're laughing you're you have a career <laughs> you've written a book and so it's amazing <laughs> to see how far you've actually come from a certain moment in your life so i'm curious you know what kind of wisdom did you gain within that time because if it was successful you never would have been here and so what <laughs> right like so what yeah. what did you learn from that point yeah. on? It's honestly nice to hear that because I, a lot of my, I mean, I, it's not like I have resolved everything and everything's peachy. And, um, I, like, I still struggle with depression, anxiety, and grief. And, um, especially in recent years with chronic fatigue, I'm tired a lot. I sleep a lot. But yeah, I think what's, what's new with the way I approach things, I think, is maybe like, I feel grief a little bit fainter than I used to. It used to just feel all consuming. Like I was not a person independent of it. And now I feel like uh, I, you know, have goals. Um, I'm interested in, in doing things. And, and I know that sounds like very simple, but it, it took me a while to just be like, yeah, I do want to to stick around to finish this at least or do this thing or have this experience. So I think, I mean, it's, it, it's not been easy. And honestly, I think after the book, after I wrote the book and, and published it, like I, I went through a different kind of grief where I was like, I, I called it a grieving of expectations where it was like, you know, I, I finished this book about my mom and, now what do I do? Because I felt like this was my purpose to, like, I kind of put every, I guess, egg, all my eggs in one basket. I don't know what the eggs would be in this case, but mm-hmm. I, I I just, I, I was so sure that, like, writing this book would be transformative in some way, or it would help me release, and would help me, or would serve as a vessel for all these memories of my mom, and this kind of, these memories that other people had of my mom, but I think, you know, I just felt overwhelming to put that much pressure on something. So honestly, it hasn't been until the last couple months uh, recently where I felt like independent of the book, like I could be a writer, I could write about other subject matter. And I'm happy to write about other subject matter in a way that I'm actually driven again. And it just takes a while. Like for me, it's just like, trying to be as calm as possible and notice like where I feel like small sparks of creativity or joy um, and really focus on those. But yeah, I, I, you know, I still have major depression and I'm still trying to find out, you know, the right medication or right, I guess, combination of medications. So it's, it's gotten easier, but it also has changed a lot. And by it, I mean my grief and depression. I think, you know, it's something I realize that it, it it's going to stick with me. I, it, I'll, I'll always probably be experiencing it in some form, but accepting that has helped too. Just like, how can I be the best person I can be while I'm depressed? Um, how can I, you know, be like a good wife and a good sister? So I I try to focus more on like accepting the, you know, the depression as maybe a part of, a part of me. And, and that has actually helped. Yeah. I sympathize with what you're saying right now. I think a lot of, I think 
I think it's a it's a problem I think we face in society and it's a specifically a problem I think a lot of creative people come across is mm-hmm. kind of seeing ideas come and go and sometimes if you don't have an idea that you're working on or that you've decided to that this is it that I'm going to pursue mm-hmm. it can cause a lot of strain and anxiety and you know negative emotions I think like mm-hmm. for example like with with me, it was uh, specifically, you know, I went years without kind of, uh, I couldn't decide what I wanted to do, like, because I had mm-hmm. so many ideas of creative endeavors. And mm-hmm. you know, it, it caused problems in purpose and fulfillment. And I think that's yeah. such an important thing for a person to have is some sort of fulfillment and purpose in life. Mm-hmm. Um, that can cause you to then have a focus and a joy and something to kind of birth like it's a when you when you have an idea and you see it through and you say this is the idea I'm going to go with you're it's the birthing process and you're seeing it grow and you invest time and energy into this process mm-hmm. uh, and then it, it let's say that project ends and then you have nothing and then right if you, if you don't decide to kind of pick up another thing on the way it can be very you know negative They're those mm-hmm. sad or depressing or whatever uh the, for me the podcast was was an idea that i gave me such fulfillment and mm-hmm. why it's continuing to this day is because it was a project that, that i was able to focus on and kind of develop and grow and i i saw such i see till this day such potential in it so it's giving mm-hmm. me that purpose and fulfillment that i need but if i didn't have this i you know and let's just say before the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, I was in that middle zone, that purgatory of like, well, you know, I don't have a project. And then mm-hmm. you come up with, I, I came up, you, like any creative person, they come up with ideas, but then you see the death of that idea and then you're grieving it. Yeah. Just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's important, like, yeah, it is important to have a purpose, but also like the reverse, like detaching yourself from the idea that like you're made to do one thing or a few things is important too. It's like just seeing yourself as a person who mm-hmm. is trying to be the best they can be is important too. Like yes. if you see it as, you know, I don't have a project, I'm, you know, in the weeds or whatever, then I think that gets a lot harder if you're, you know, constantly focused on, you know, if, am I getting fulfillment from this? Cause sometimes it's just like, even in a job you love, you're not going to, you know, be totally or feel totally fulfilled on a given day and I think so just you know feeling like you're doing your best is should be yeah yeah. it doesn't often feel that it is but yeah absolutely and that's another that's a great point and that's that's uh, I think moving forward for even just just talking about myself I think finding like I I work a job that I I work I don't love necessarily but I like aspects Mm of it you know I understand I understand the purpose of it, but I also don't limit myself personally on the goals. Like before I used to always just reach out for the big goals and those permanent exactly. goals because I never had any big goals or permanent goals. Right. But now that I have some of those big ones, then I can kind of just fulfill myself with those small mini ones and find mm-hmm. gratitude and beauty in those small ones, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, growing a garden and planning that out for the yeah. season or whatever that small mini goal is. And those are super important too, to keep that fulfillment and that energy mm-hmm. going. But you're absolutely right. Like, you know, not to be, it, it all comes down to being kind to yourself and not beat yourself up about not using the best of your potential. Cause you, you do recognize mm-hmm. you are an amazing person. You're a creative person. You're, you've got a lot of energy and stuff like that. But again, back mm-hmm. to the analogy, when you see a highway and everybody's racing forward and you're still like yeah. trying to merge, that can be a difficult process, you know, seeing yeah, we, we, live course, in a compar- yeah. we live in a comparison world and we're seeing people, yeah. around us, you know, share their brilliant ideas and do amazing yeah. things. And they can be very frustrating. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think, I mean, obviously like Facebook and Instagram don't help with that, but it's even more important to just be like, okay, I have to be I just focus focus on myself and you know like being again like kind to other people and and that, I know that sounds like a kind something Ellen DeGeneres would say or something but <laughs> yeah <laughs> I don't mean to to say it's all about kindness and preach platitudes or something but yeah well kind to yourself right and and yeah yeah that's what kind I kind yourself yeah. and give yourself that that time and space to kind of 
um, think of those ideas and really pick which ones you, you want to dedicate yourself with. Because you know that once you do dedicate yourself to an idea, then you can reach some great heights with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it, but it's interesting when you look back and you see how the book was a goal in a time where you didn't really have many goals. And so it allowed you to keep going and have some type of meaning beyond other things. And of course, you know, the ego gets involved and says, this is, this is it. This is the big time. Mm-hmm. It kind of like disrupts, I think maybe one of the reasons why you're doing it anyways is to exactly. understand, you know, you're, that's why it's very comp- complex. Once you get a goal that starts out of passion and love, your ego always yeah. gets involved and has its fingers in it. And it's hard to separate the mm-hmm. two as you move forward. And so for you, what was the initial reason to do the book and interview these mm-hmm. people? I think that's a very interesting thing. Just because I know when my dad died, I wanted to know more about him. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. When he was alive, yeah. you know, we, we talked a little bit, but I didn't ask about his childhood. Like, really, his exactly. life only started when I was like a kid. Like, what did you, right. what did you do when right. I was a kid? Right. Like, I didn't know what yeah. he was as his, when he was a kid. So I would ask my, after he died, I asked my grandma's stories, his sister, and even my mom, like, oh, cool. like what they were like what he was like in relationships and stuff like that so i really try to get a better Mm -hmm. overview of who he was and so i'm just curious Mm -hmm. for you what started that journey and did you learn anything new yeah it was it was like you said i i did want to learn about the parts of her that i wasn't i didn't have access to because i was only 18 and i think also there's this uh, what started the whole process in general was this uh, there's this Buddhist parable of the mustard seed um, where the Buddha tells Kisa, a young woman who's grieving the loss of her son, tells her to go into town and see if she can collect mustard seeds from a family who hasn't experienced grief. And she comes back to him empty handed and he, he kind of lectures her about impermanence and she finds comfort in that, like just that like everyone's kind of gone through the same thing. And I was curious about that because um, when I, you know, was introduced to that story, I, I, I actually don't find comfort in the fact that other people are going through at least <laughs> through the same thing. It's like, it's to me, it's very depressing. It's like everyone's just, you know, trying to navigate this. Um, but I, I was curious in that way of if I could relate to people that maybe I would never talk to about my mom otherwise about their grieving processes, not just about my mom but also people in their lives that they've uh, grieved as well. So I wanted to get more of a, uh, to paint more of a portrait of my mom through their uh, memories or their even just kind of like brief moments with her. Like, for instance, I interview a uh, Catholic priest who, he was the priest at my parish. I, I grew up Catholic and he administered the Eucharist to my mom. He came to our house when she was in hospice care and they didn't have like a, you know, particularly strong relationship, but even just little moments like that, I feel like you learn about, you learn an intimate detail about someone and coming into their house and literally, you know, giving them the Eucharist orally, like putting it in their mouth um, is an intimate act. So I don't know, I just wanted to find out like what their perceptions of those moments were. And that allowed me to remember more, honestly, Uh, it sparked a lot of memories, even just going back to places that I, you know, or where I grew up, like I, I, I live in Chicago, and I grew up in Oak Park, so it's only like 20 minutes away. But I still felt like I was maybe purposely avoiding or maybe not remembering things on purpose. So like even with, I, I, I went to interview the embalmer, um, the first, the funeral director and the person who embalmed my, my mom, which was, you know, it's a pretty morbid concept. Um, but I feel like I, I just really wanted to think to return to the moments kind of around her death since those were the most like alive in my mind and see if I could get a fuller story of like what was happening behind the scenes. And also I'm, you know, I'm anxious in general and and pretty shy. And I thought, you know, this would allow me to connect with people again, people that I wouldn't have normally gone back to, especially not to, to talk about my mom. And honestly, like my family is close, but uh, we don't, 
you know, especially on my mom's side, no offense to them, <laughs> but we don't really talk much about her uh, at all. I think it's too painful for them. So I just wanted to talk about it too. I think that was just part of it where it was like, I know that this will be helpful in some way, at least. I don't believe anymore that like you should go on like a grief journey like this, because I, I, I think that implies that there are like steps and stages to grief that aren't necessarily the case for everybody. And, and like I said, maybe it's something you have to, to realize you'll always be dealing with in some form, although it transforms. But yeah, I gained, I gained some, some additional stories and, and perspectives. At times, though, it was frustrating because I was uh, wanting comfort almost from the people that I talked to and felt like I had to comfort them almost at times. So I was like, you know, if we're, you know, we're in this deep if I'm, I'm the one giving you comfort. Um, you don't want my comfort. But yeah, basically, the, <laughs> no, the, like, the, I, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, I think the whole process is, it's amazing. It's incredible because imagine if you could do that with any significant moment in your life. Right. You know, if you could go back and get a 360 kind of interview. Uh, yeah. It's like life is like, uh, you know, our lives are like movies and, you mm -hmm. know, these images play out and these scenes play out and we hold on to these mo moments and these mo these scenes in our in our lives. Mm -hmm. But imagine you could go back and do an interview. It's like watching a movie or a show exactly. and then they do like a behind the scenes like uh, interview documentary about the show or the movie. And exactly. you're getting, you know, the actor's opinion about, wait, how how'd you feel in this scene? Well, actually... Mm -hmm you know, or whatever right. the situation is, because that gives you even more data and even more, uh, it's, it's even more kind of yeah. uh, fulfillment around that, that scene that is already playing in your head. Yeah. And, and I found some, uh, found out some things I had no idea about, for instance, like my, I interviewed the person, uh, this woman named Debbie Musso, who was my hairstylist, but she did my family's hair, but she also like helped my mom pick out a wig after she lost her hair. And she was actually, she actually told me that she dressed my mom's hair for uh, the wake. Um, and I didn't know that. I just assumed that the funeral <clears throat> director had done it since that's something to do. But yeah, so even like memory or like just things I thought I knew changed from talking to them. But you know, it was hard because I had a lot of stories and I, you know, didn't really know what to do with them. And, and going back in that way is, I mean, I knew it would be emotional, but I was, I was feeling at the time when conducting the interviews really irritable and really just like questioning all the time why I was doing this in the first place. It's like, it felt like at times like self-inflicted torture. <laughs> I was like, I mean, I, I did this it was my idea to write the book why <laughs> um so i feel like a lot of times i felt just really like lost and even more confused but now i'm able to uh, you know after it's i've the last time i, I actually finished writing this like four years or so ago so i'm able to, now that i'm able to step away from it i can see it as you know something different something positive collection of stories but also kind of like a time capsule of how I was feeling at that time. Like if I, I'm kind of embarrassed, this, this isn't a great way to sell my book, but I'm kind <laughs> of embarrassed <laughs> to read some of the parts over again, because it's like, I, I, it, it reflects my thoughts exactly at that time. Although I wouldn't now, maybe I would even consider things differently. I think with time you reflect on things even more or different experiences lead you to different conclusions, obviously. So it's interesting the thought of like, if I were to ever in the future go back and kind of like do the same process, but make different conclusions, like what that would be as a, a project for me or what that would mean for me. Kudos to you. I think it was incredibly difficult to do something like this because it is a relatively immersed in grief. It's a, it's an, you know, it dips into the negative, you know, people, the convention is, oh, well, move on, move on from this, right. move on, don't go back, you know, you've, you, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But in life, you have to take the good with the bad. And 
why not? Exactly. You know, why not put this in the same? Why not want to go back and immerse yourself in an event from mm-hmm. the past, bad as well as good? Like I'm trying to think, like, because at the end of the day, that's your life. That's who you are, mm-hmm. and you're just right. you know finding more information and gathering a better picture of that event. And mm-hmm. I think it's a, I think it's an amazing concept. And like for me, like I'm trying to. There's going to be, like you said, difficult emotions, probably Mm -hmm. rehashing that. Like, it's a funny moment in my life. But like, you know, when I was in kindergarten, like I peed my pants in school and I was so embarrassed. I didn't leave the stall. (laughs) So the teacher was trying to get me to come out of the stall and I wouldn't do it. So my dad had to come to school with an extra pair oh. of pants. And I'm like, I wonder if we could interview that teacher and get, or yeah. even, even my dad or anybody around that time yeah. and get a 360 interview of that embarrassing, weird moment. Exactly. It would be a more fulfilling experience because I'm playing that movie in my head, not all, all the time. I don't think about it <laughs> right. often, but that's still a scene in my life movie. I'd like more, you yeah. know, it, it'd be interesting to, to hear, you know, cause I'm, I'm telling you my side, my, yeah perspective of this scenario interesting yeah and it's like that that's the kind of thing that would like keep me up at night like when you're <laughs> you know when you're anxious and, I'm sorry, that sounds really bad but i just mean like when you're anxious and you can't sleep and then you think like you have like a flashback to when you're like in second grade or oh yeah kindergarten and, those and are the things you think about <laughs> before it works yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it'd be i feel i feel like it'd be interesting and maybe even like healing for you and i don't know how how traumatic that yeah i'd probably pick a different event yeah more meaningful let's just say a more meaningful (laughs) significant event to kind of look back on but you're absolutely right like these are these are the moments in our lives that uh that that are part of our life movie and it's interesting Mm -hmm. to kind of because i always hope that when i die i can get uh all the information like that can be a life book and i can look at everything from that angle right that's that's what I hope too. <laughs> yeah, no, it is interesting. I know, Sean, you're saying you talk to your brother and you're able to go back to stories of your childhood and stuff and get pieces because it, you know, like our memory has some issues. So we don't actually know everything. Mm-hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. we remember things that didn't actually happen. And so it's always nice when people are alive to go back and sort of see what they saw and what was different in mm-hmm. their eyes. And then to get a, a, a better understanding of maybe what actually happened because our mood and how we see life really imprints in our memory of the event. Mm -hmm. So if we're anxious Mm -hmm. and depressed and you're interviewing these people, you're going to have this sort of negative view of what happened, but really on their end, they're probably saying something, seeing something completely different, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, as you go back, you realize, Oh, interesting. I probably, you know, I probably am seeing that in a, in a a skewed way rather than like, yeah non-judgmental way i think that's just part of the process and it seems that's where you are and and to realize you know as you write you wrote in that mind frame but going back it's really cool to be able to see how far you've come right like the worst fear i have is to write something today and then by the end of my life i i wouldn't change a word no like i want to have grown right like i want to have loved life even more and change my perspective so at the end of the day as much as you say you know you know maybe wasn't that great at the, I look at that from my perspective saying that's amazing you grow that you grew that much in that short time mm-hmm. said four years mm-hmm. to be able to look at your words and realize you've completely changed from that moment you wrote them and I think that mm-hmm. is such a beautiful moment because in the book did what it's supposed to do helped you realize you're changing and what exactly. more do we want than that because you're changing in, in a positive direction now exactly yeah and I think that was part of it for me too it's like I think I would have maybe also interviewed more of my family members or any of my family members. Um, my sisters have different versions of events, but you're right. They're all filtered through our emotions. So like I remember specific things when I was angry or really, you know, anxious or something like that. But also I think in shaping the chapters, it was sort of that way too, where I was like having to identify common themes that were coming up in the interviews and, again, like you have to shape the narrative in some way, you have to order it, you have to figure out like, what parts you're leaving out. So it feels very like, you know, just deliberate, but also 
what I felt as it was done was like, I can't possibly capture everything. And I, I know there is stuff that I left out on purpose. And I just feel like, you know, am I doing myself a disservice by that? And I, I just kind of had to realize like, no, I can, I can write about my mom and this doesn't, it, this isn't the end for me in writing about my mom necessarily. This doesn't have to be like the final thing I say, but I was viewing it that way for a while. And I think that was kind of hurting my overall worldview maybe. Well, when you look, when I first you know saw the, the description of the book, I thought it was interesting that you focused only on people that were a part of the dying process because mm-hmm. her life was so much more, but you're focused exactly. so, so specific on this process. And I thought you thought it was interesting. And so now like I get to learn more, you know, why that was and, and mm-hmm. how maybe you would go back to sort of, you know, her elementary school teacher or, you know, like whatever, mm-hmm. right? Like other people in her life mm-hmm. to see who she was. So I think you said it's in the day, it's, it's very interesting how we change. I'm curious mm-hmm. along the process of like writing the book and, and even you know, after she died, have you ever had a dream of her? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I've had lots of dreams. Um, and actually, when I was 19 and, and not going to class, sleeping a lot, I kept a dream journal because I was like, what else am I supposed to measure? You know, mm-hmm. certainly not steps because I was sleeping. <laughs> Sorry, I'm super joke. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I remember like I. Uh, I, I don't have that anymore, but a lot of the dreams in like that time were kind of like her head detached from her body or um, like I just had like images of like floating body parts. It's like, and at that time I was like mad at my self, uh, subconscious for being like, it's like, can your imagery, you know, be a little bit deeper? <laughs> but yeah, I, I think I, I've had a lot of different ones. Um, since publishing the book, I've had dreams where she'll like pop up at a family dinner or something. Um, and then I'll be like, where the heck have you been? <laughs> but then I'll get over it. Um, I'll, but initially I'll have some rage. But yeah, I think... Um, it's it's weird when she's like there in present moments because then I suddenly have a panic like are are you on your right medication or are you declining treatment a lot of my dreams have been about recently where I'm just like where she's like not uh, she has cancer but she's not addressing it that's happened a lot recently and actually one I had maybe a year or so ago where I just I don't remember the the specifics, but I just remember the feeling that I got from it, which was just complete comfort. Um, I just woke up and then I like I knew she like it was just such a good dream that I I wanted to basically just go back to sleep forever. Mm. So there have been some times like that where it's really it impacts the next day, but for a lot of them in the beginning, especially were just like bits and pieces of her literally like you know her head detached from her body but I, I just like anxiety dreams I guess you would you would call those yeah they're definitely related to what you're going through mm-hmm. and you know like I thought the one dream that you 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 basically told me about prior was this uh, dream where she was talking about your book and she was like mad at mm-hmm. you for publishing a book Can you talk about that dream I thought that was super <laughs> interesting because I've heard yeah. of other dreams where the deceased is encouraging the person because they're writing the book, like they're celeb- like it's like celebration. Yeah. And so this is very, it's the opposite. And so I'm just curious yeah. to talk about that a bit. So my mom, so my mom was very, uh, this is what I don't mean to make her sound awful. Um, but I also don't believe in that thing where the, like people are saints after they die. <laughs> she was very critical, um, especially of writing because she was a really strong writer. Um, she's very smart and, you know, actually, when I was younger, she is the reason I think I'm a writer. I think like she she encouraged my sisters and me to write stories when we were little, and she would like rate them. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, I think... <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think that kind of critical eye um, played a role in that dream, where it was like she would totally edit my book, you know, and have problems with my sentence structure probably. But also she was a very like private person. And here's my book, the cover of which is, is her holding me when I'm a baby. Um, and, you know, it's going to ask these people who, again, played a very like intimate role in her life and in our, li- our family's life. 
So I think the privacy aspect was her kind of like, uh, I don't know, just I, I have some anxiety around that of, of like, would she actually have wanted me to publish this? I mean, obviously, there's no way of even processing that fully because she's not alive and I wouldn't have written it if she were. But I think that with the the <laughs> kind of like intense editing eye she had gives me some <laughs> sort of <laughs> like anxiety. Well, it's so interesting because there's like a lot of things you could just talk about with that dream in the sense of right. that is probably you said like there's the aspect of the confidentiality. She was a very secretive person, right. didn't want her stuff out there in the world. But then, you know, what I, you know, what I'd like to hear, too, is the truth and how she probably would have read the book and there was a bunch <laughs> of errors she would have saw. Right. Like that's just <laughs> yeah. the, that's a part of like who yeah. she is. And so there's like a part of like the continuing bond aspect of that's actually yeah. what like her style of what she would have probably said reading the book given that she right. was alive and i think that's interesting in the sense of that's the relationship you had like as you said mm -hmm. not everyone we're not all saints you know, like with my dad and especially like we had a lot of rough rough patches and how mm -hmm. i see him is a little bit of both he has some good qualities right. and i also have some of these negative ones and mm -hmm. so when you, i look at these dreams that right what i get excited about when people share these dreams is to just hear a, a new side of them and sometimes these dreams that aren't as positive as other ones have a lot of mm -hmm. details of that relationship and you know who they were within that person or that relationship mm -hmm. with that person and so i think it's just nice that you're allowing the truth to come out and i think you know more than anything secrets are, are great you know maybe for a little mm -hmm. while until they become toxic and but truth is <laughs> the thing that overcomes everything and yes it mm -hmm. hurts some people become uncomfortable but you become free, you know, and the, the goal mm -hmm. is about you being free and you're the one that's alive. So right. <laughs> you need to be yeah. the one that's free <laughs> in where right, you are. Exactly. And I think, you know, it takes a lot of courage for you to have those just to even say that dream. It shows mm -hmm. me how much courage you you needed to write the book. And we never even talked about it. like it's so crazy because when we talk about the book and you're saying like, there's some stuff I want to change, like mm -hmm. not once did it come out how, you know, this aspect of, you know, writing the book book is actually the biggest statement of you standing on your own because your mom would have said don't publish right so you know, for yeah. me i'm like it takes because of that dream i look at what you've done with even more significance because it's not about uh -huh. just writing a book it's about you standing up for who you want to be in this world mm -hmm. outside of those the parents right and outside of everything else it's like you're just being you as honest as you can and there's, when you become in that state, I believe that, you know, the world becomes a different playground for you because you're not limiting yourself on what's possible. Wow, that's better than I've ever, uh, that's better than any therapist could have ever told me. Now I feel very, even more proud of myself, I guess. <laughs> well, you should, right? Like, it, it's very yeah. hard to, to, yeah. to, to have the courage to do new things. and. Yeah. You know, for especially growing up, it's it's tough. And so, you know, you should be proud of yourself. I'm proud of you. You know, like I barely know you, but I'm proud of you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that brought a tear to my eye, Joshua. That was very nice. And yeah, absolutely. You hit it on the on the head. And especially around because when you were talking about uh, going back and, and well, I should maybe I should have done it this way or maybe I should have done it that way. Mm -hmm. This all makes a lot more sense now, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think with the the grief dream too, with the anxiety about her, you know, being critical and stuff, it also is just reflective of the relationship again that we had when I was 18, which is kind of sad in a way, because it's like, you know, I know, I don't know past that. Maybe that would have evolved. And yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I'm, I don't think she would stop being critical ever um, because <laughs> that's just not. Yeah, but no, you're right. Cards, you're on the right, yeah. you're on the right track because uh, I think sometimes, you know, again, it's like, I'm thinking it's like having like a basketball coach be your parent and they want you to learn yeah. how to play basketball. They can yeah. be very critical, right? Because they want you to excel. They want you to do well. You know, mm -hmm. they want you to uh, not get hurt and they want you to learn something. But sometimes in that process, they themselves are not doing it right. They're not teaching properly. Not mm -hmm. everybody can teach and they learn how to teach on the go. Becoming a parent is like that, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's, yeah. it's a new process yeah. for everybody. So I would imagine, you know, at an older age, you know, they might look back and be like, oh, I regret doing that or I regret teaching my child how to do this or I, mm -hmm. I, I wish I could go back and do things differently. But yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, with my my dad, it was interesting because we had a really you know poor relationship throughout mm. a lot of my life, and then it was oh. only after we only really started becoming, I guess, quote unquote, friends or just having a, a better relationship mm-hmm. when I was around twenty three. Oh, wow. about, yeah, a year and a half before he died, and you know, wow. I look at that event, and it was because him and my mom split up. Uh, well, oh, they got wow. divorced, and then that changed something in him, and he became oh. a softer individual around me. And he wanted to oh, know more about me. It was a very interesting thing. And so I became, yeah. so we would hang out for like the first time ever. And that is, oh, I think, wow. why when he died a year and a half later, I, you know, I was, uh, it was a significant loss in my life because we were building a different right. type of relationship than yeah. I had prior. Yeah. It's almost as if he took the role of being, needing to be a father, to just needing uh-huh. to be someone like a friend or just a support system. So it was really interesting sense. on how people can change over time. But you said like you don't get that opportunity. So you're left with that almost like my dad before we became friends. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, if if my dad died then, yeah, I probably wouldn't have many positive dreams personally. Of, of yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, when, did, when did your parents get like, was, were you 23 when your parents got divorced or was it? Yeah, like, they separated like, a year or two years before then. And oh, then, wow. Yeah. So very close to when you. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, it is. And it's just one of those things I look back, I'm like, oh, you know, like if that didn't happen at that time, my whole grief journey would have been a lot different. Yeah. And it's not that I, I don't want to say like, I'll, I would never have any positive memory. Like I have a, a lot of positive memories with her. But yeah, it's, it's all filtered. It's still, you know, I'm th- about to be 32. And it's just filtered through my 18 year old <laughs> self. And so now that you're 32, if you could have a dream of your mother tonight, what would that look like? <laughs> I would hope it'd be comforting, <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like it just totally depends. Um, I go through periods where I, I have very vivid dreams, um, not just about my mom, but about just anything. And then periods where, you know, nothing I'm, I'm also, I also suffer from insomnia, even though I have chronic fatigue, it's kind of a, I don't know, <laughs> situation, but yeah, I feel like, I, I don't know. I think now, I would hope for them to be like a little bit more comforting because I, I just remember the feeling left over when in those early stages, when it was just like, I don't know, like I was just seeing like pieces of her body and it just felt so morbid and, and, and all consuming and draining. Well, this is the reason why we're making one up right now. So if you could make one up tonight. Yeah, we're not we're not just you know, concocting something what we dream about. Like what do you want to no, make? So if you could perfect, you're Yeah, what would your perfect dream be tonight? Put on your creative hat. Oh, okay. <laughs> See the best of okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she would say, Caitlin, you're doing amazing, sweetie. <laughs> you <laughs> uh, are I'm proud of you. And Did you guys have a nice I, place uh, that you both enjoyed, like a positive memory of a location that this would take yeah. place in? I would actually like it to take, this is, uh, I would like it to take place in Wisconsin Dells. I know like nobody would choose that place out of all places <laughs> in an <laughs> ideal world. But yeah, we used to go to the Dells when I was little, like almost every summer. And, and she and I, actually she taught me how to swim there. Um, and then I swam in high school. So I think, you know, Actually, what's what's weird about that is this is kind of off subject, but the day after, I want to say, yeah, the day after she died, the the lake, Lake Delton in Wisconsin Dells, where she taught me how to swim, dried up completely. So it's like a nature's response to something, maybe. But yeah, I think it it would it would be there where you know she was just she's just like I've seen the progress that you've made and. I respect and appreciate who you are now. I think it, I would like affirmation. I'm I'm still feeling like I'm missing that um, in my life. And honestly, like things like milestones where she wasn't there, uh, it would just be nice to have her like kind of just say, you know, I, I've, I've observed you. I, I know that sounds creepy now, but like I've seen, you know, your path and it's you know a positive one overall and I'm proud of the woman you become I'm proud of like the gay woman you become um because I never got to tell her that I was struggling with my sexuality and and now I'm married and I think just having her affirm 
all those kind of big moments in my life would be kind of the perfect dream. Wow. That's amazing. I would yeah. love to see that. And how would you respond to that in a dream? Just curious, like hearing that, like, what would you do? <laughs> would you like hug her? Like, would, would you say something to her? Like, yeah, I think I would say, wow, that's hard. I don't know. I, I don't want to say what I would say because it's, it's probably wrong coming up with it on the spot. I think I would just, I think I would just want to hear from her. I'm I'm sick of hearing from myself, honestly. <laughs> um, and I I would just be quiet and listen, I think. And then maybe hug her, yeah. Hmm, nice. And then you both just jump in the uh the pool or what was that? You said the <laughs> Dells. Yeah, what 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 is the Dells? Yeah. yeah, I wasn't sure what that was. It's like yeah. basically the place where dreams go to die as described. <laughs> what? <by> what? <laughs> That's dreams dry up. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like, like not 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 somewhere that you should add to like your list of destinations, especially like mm-hmm. once you get the vaccine. <laughs> it's <laughs> It's just like a, like there's nothing there. So they added like a bunch of, like it's an amusement park location where where there's also water parks and stuff. And it's like objectively a sad place, but I have good memories there when I was a child. We used to go go to this cabin that my parents' friend had uh, let us rent for free, I guess. And then we would just like do, we would like go on go-karts and swim and, even go with my grandmother who would make us banana bread and (laughs) it was nice. Yeah. Well, again, this is the beauty of the dream world because you can, uh, you know, make it lively again, make it amazing and and probably make that, whatever that lake or whatever the area is full again. (laughs) Yeah. Spruce up Wisconsin Dells. (laughs) There you go. Is there like a, uh, a ride you would want to like incorporate in there that maybe is like creative and, no, like I, don't, I don't think I actually ever enjoyed any of the rides and and oh. like some we still go back there uh cause just because my dad has a soft spot for it and 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 so do I I mean and my sisters but it feels as an adult to go back to like a place with just like filled with go-karts and like haunted houses it feels kind of weird but yeah there was nothing particularly that I like about the amusement parks that I love but I think I would definitely there was this pool outside the cabin that's where I learned I learned to swim there and then we also swam in Lake Dalton, but I would, I would definitely, you know, I, I used to actually swim laps with her in the mornings and uh, when I was in high school too. So even later on after she, long after she had taught me how to swim and that has always been, I've, I've revisited that pool in recent years and that's always been kind of a source of comfort for me. Yeah, hey, sometimes we have those uh, places in our minds and that, you know, in, in, and we visit in our dreams that, that are mm-hmm. just uh, significant and they just pop up every now and then. And uh, yeah, that's just a part of it. Caitlin, this has been such a great conversation and yeah. it's just, it was so cool learning about you and, and uh, just hearing from you. You're, you're super funny and, and just, <laughs> uh, you know, just your life is, is very interesting. And um, can you tell us where people can get the book if they wanted to take a look at that? Yeah. um, So the book is called The Morning Report, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. And you can find it on the Homebound Publications website. It's also available on Amazon and um, like all of those stores. (laughs) And you can also visit me at my website, which is CaitlinHoganGarvey.com. And if they want to take a course by you, where can they go? <laughs> yes, I teach at Oakton College right now in Illinois. You can't, well, you have to register as a student, but you could. Um, but I also do some tutoring. Um, if anyone wants to reach out to me and needs like me to go over a personal essay or something. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thank you so much, Caitlin. And yeah. thank you to everybody else who's listening. Uh, you can tune into our next one. We'd like to end the podcast with love and gratitude from us to you. Thank you again for listening to the episode. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about the topic, please check out our platform at griefdreams.ca. On there, you can find our two online courses. So the first one is a Grief Dreams workshop that I developed, which is designed to help you learn all about the topic. And the second one is Crazy in Love, Using Romantic Relationships as a Vehicle for Growth, 
And this is designed to help you rethink modern intimate relationships, and that is by myself and Jade Carling Black. On the website, you can also book a one-on-one grief dreams consulting session with me to discuss your own dreams, or if you want to learn more about the topic. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Clubhouse, at Grief Dreams. We have two clubs on Clubhouse that you can follow, and those are Grief Dreams, and the other one is Grief Cafe. If you have Facebook, you can follow our Grief Dreams podcast page to be notified when we release new episodes. You can also join the Grief Dreams Facebook group, and on there you can share your dreams and hear more dreams of others. Once again, to help support the podcast, please subscribe and rate the podcast on your platform that you listen on. This helps our show come up when people search for grief podcasts to listen to. Also, you can become a member of the podcast through Patreon. And we have three membership levels, $1.50, $7, and $20 a month. So if you want to give, please go there to see what perks we have to offer. This money helps us run the podcast. You can find the Patreon link in the show notes below. We would like to thank all of those who continue to support us. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you can be comforted by your dreams tonight.